Hello and welcome to the Amadeus Travel Tech Talk podcast. I'm Dan Batchelor and I will be your host for today's episode. So let's dive straight in. Now, over the past two years, COVID has had the world in its grip and we have been challenged to think creatively about how to secure the return of travel. Now, against this backdrop, we've proven to be both decisive and dynamic. And now that confidence is returning in many markets, we need to build greater resilience as an industry and work together to renew travel. Now, you may have seen we recently launched our Amadeus Travel Pulse based on Amadeus search data. And the data reveals that for the first four months of 2022, search volumes around the world have been going up, almost reaching pre-pandemic levels. One example, global search was just 3% behind 2019 figures in the last week of April, with the US, Mexico and Canada all above 2019 levels on domestic search. And there are some other examples as well, but we don't have quite enough time to go through them. I want to bring in my three very special guests as soon as possible. So with this, I would like to welcome firstly, Anna, who heads up Travel Sellers in EMEA. Hello, Anna. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Also, a warm welcome to Fred, who is a senior vice president heading up online travel companies in Asia Pacific. Welcome, Fred. Hi. Thanks for joining us, Fred. And Joelle, who's the VP of Airline Solutions and Delivery for the Americas. Hello, Joelle. Hello. Many thanks for all of you giving us your time, your energy, your insights. Really looking forward to a good conversation. So Anna, I'm going to bring you in first. And the first trend I want to look at is what we're calling active tourism. And let's look at what this is all about. I think travellers around the world are trying to balance their environmental and their social concerns with their passion for travel. And it's something that I guess is kind of increasingly difficult to square. Um, A recent Amadeus survey found that two thirds of consumers consider sustainable travel a priority. And 37% of respondents think opportunities for travellers to be involved in the preservation of tourist destinations will actually help the industry to become more sustainable in the long term. So Anna, uh, what about you? Are you an eco-warrior? Do you and your family build any of these types of activities into your trips? How can we help our customers get ready for eco-tourism? I think calling myself an eco-warrior is maybe pushing it a bit too much, <laughs> but no doubt, I think we need to take action, no? Because we are seeing that we are damaging the environment. We are seeing climate change. That's a fact. And the pandemic has clearly showed that this is something that we are becoming more aware of and that we are more determined to do something about. And when I speak to travel sellers, no doubt they are getting more and more requests no, of more sustainable types of travel. And it's quite broad what they get asked. Everything from uh, we want the trip to be more sustainable from an environmental perspective. For example, schools uh, request that when they take school trips with the children, that it is more sustainable. We are also seeing people asking for places with less crowds, not to have over-tourism. And even animal welfare is something that people are, are now requesting. No, And if I take myself, you asked me, what do I do? No, And I do actually really appreciate to, and I often search for ecotourism when I go on holiday with my family, just because I think it's a very calm but also because you can get more ecological food and they have a tendency to ask you not to use your towels just for one day. I really appreciate all the small initiatives that hotels take. And I also look at CO2 emissions of flights when I compare flights. No? So I think these are things that are very, very important. 
no doubt the industry has to come together, no one, because it's across the whole travel experience that we need to take action. So as an industry, we need to collaborate. And at Amadeus, we are doing a number of things. No, we obviously want to use our technology to ensure that travel is becoming more sustainable. And how can we help? We can expose CO2 emissions so that when corporate travelers in the corporate booking tools, you make a decision. Not only can you make it on price, you can also have a look. Are you uh, using more CO2 emissions or less? Uh, We also help airlines use less fuel, etc. But we don't stop there. We also have internally, we're trying to use less energy. Uh, We want to be CO2 neutral by 2030. So that's also a way the company is contributing to making travel more sustainable. And then the third is actually, as employees, we have people in more than 195 countries. And in these countries, we all collaborate in voluntary work. Just last year, I think with a number of colleagues in Madrid, I was up in the mountains planting trees. And we also have something we call green as the new blue. You know, we're blue as a company. But actually, green is very, very important to us. No, and we all commit every year to something that we want to do because it's the small things that can make a big change. So this year, I have committed to uh, taking my bicycle uh, when I go grocery shopping in my neighborhood. And I think it is what we all need to do at an individual level. We need to make a difference to ensure that we create a safe and sustainable environment. And then also corporations can do a lot, no? which is what we're also doing. No, it's very good. And at the beginning, you said you were not an eco-warrior, but I have to say you're far closer to it than I am. And I think I applaud you for that. I think some of those examples are, are very worthy and, and very, very interesting. I think what you're saying, Anna, if I interpret it correctly, is that there's an opportunity for this to be win, win, win. So, you know, win for the industry, win for travelers, and then us as human beings in order to do good, but also make sure that we're thinking not just of ourselves, but of the greater good. So really, really interesting to get your take on that. Fred, I'm, I'm going to come to you now and just get your sense of, you know, to what extent does that resonate with you from an Asia-Pacific perspective? Is there more or less to be done? What's your sense of things, Fred, for how you see it? Yeah, I think in Asia, I think the trend is still for people to travel in groups. It's still very big amongst the leisure traveler. And we all know groups have a bigger impact on the environment in general. People tend to come together and move around the beaches together and maybe litter a bit more. And so the impact on the environment is a bit bigger. Now we see with the new generation of travelers in Asia Pacific, we see clearly a move towards more individual traveler and maybe a bit more selective on the destination as well. So a bit less of the mass tourism that is generally associated with the leisure traveler in Asia. So I hope that this is changing. But in general, it's high on the agenda as well for Asia Pacific. I think sustainability is big in many countries in Asia doing many things. I have a uh, found memory of something that happened in the Philippines. There's one of the islands, one of the most beautiful islands in the Philippines. There's many, but uh, it's called Boracay. And the government, quite early on, actually, in 2018, they decided to close that island. And that island was about 34% of the tourism arrival in the Western Pasayas part of the Philippines. And the government decided to close it for rehabilitation. So because the sewage system couldn't cope anymore, the impact on the beach was a huge impact on the animals, of course, in the ocean was very big. So they stopped the tourism influx. They only kept the local people here and they reconstructed everything and redeveloped the island. So, and it was in 2018. So it's already four or five years ago. So it's very big on the agenda. Thailand is doing a lot as well on the beach as well, trying to limit and control the impact of tourism. So 
it's there. I think the culture in Asia is still, as I said, a bit more group travel, but I think this is moving forward in the right direction. Thank you very much, Fred. Fascinating. Great example there. And I think you know, interesting that big ideas can make small changes, but also small things sometimes can make big changes as well. And I think it's the combination of the two and not looking at something in isolation. So it's a wonderful example. Thank you very much, Fred. And Joel, no surprise that I come to you next. And I apologize for coming to you last. It's, uh, it's not a priority order, I promise. Your take on this, looking at the Americas, and you know, this is a shared problem, right? We're a global community. But equally, your sense on to what extent this is lower or higher on the agenda, just your general perception and view for how this manifests as an issue in the Americas. Sure. So I will agree with what Anna said before. So the climate change and the impact that COVID has had on everybody's life and outlook on life, it really is not surprising that ecotourism has become so popular, even in the US where you know climate change has been sometimes a little bit controversial. People have this desire to reconnect with nature. There's even an Earth Day now, although it, you know, it should be really an Earth century. But there is this gradual recognition that it is important to protect our environment. It is important to make our children aware of the uh, heritage that they have required, that they need to protect this. There's a responsibility to protect it. We see hotels trying to be environmentally conscious people have started to uh, recycle a lot more, which in the U.S. has been really slow on the uptake originally. But now really people are more conscious about their ecological footprint. They are more conscious about educating children about the importance of the environment. And really there are also some destinations, right? So we know that with climate change, there are some parts of the world that are definitely endangered. And we are seeing people trying to travel to these destinations and go there not only to visit these sites, but also to try and do their part to protect them. And I think that's a really, really nice trend in travel, but also in people's mindsets in general. No, no, I completely agree. And I think the wonderful thing about travel, but equally the challenge about travel is that there's so much emotional resonance in the very art or the very act of traveling. So I think when you put it into context, not that any other industry or sector doesn't have the same concern because we're all humans, we're all party to the same problems in the world. But I think, you know, travel as an emotional vehicle is, is so powerful. So when you look at climate change and some of the things you discussed, I feel that it's just something which is even more present perhaps in some of our minds. So really interesting to get your perspective on that. Thank you very much, uh, Joel. So if we move from eco-warriors and looking at active tourism to a, perhaps not a 180, but a shift to looking at business travel, really, really fascinating to get your take on this. And Joel, I'm going to come to you first now, so I don't get told off for putting you third again. Um, your sense on this, so obviously the pandemic essentially ground, if not all travel, then certainly business travel to a halt. And, and arguably bigger issues in play, which all of us have felt and been party to over the past two years. But the return of business travel is off being mooted. What does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, what do you anticipate? Are, are we seeing surprises? Your view on this, Joel? Sure. So, Granted, business travel is a little slower than leisure travel to pick up pace. But really, because in the past two years, corporations have had to find ways to conduct business virtually, and they have done so successfully. And of course, for two years, business travelers have had to cope with the challenges of connecting with their customers from a distance. So that has been established, and it has been established with some success. However, what we are witnessing here is what I will call Zoom fatigue or Zoom meeting fatigues, right? So we have had our 
share of virtual meetings, virtual ways to connect, virtual ways to do business. But at the end of the day, and I have witnessed that personally, I was at a business dinner yesterday with some customers, and I have to say, nothing beats a face-to-face meeting with customers, a good dinner in a nice restaurant, being able to connect, being able to talk face-to-face and network, also participating in industry events and trade shows where you have the specific ability to network to maybe for business, the ability to find new sale opportunity or new uh, client prospects that they can not necessarily do in a virtual environment. So I do believe that the flexibility of working from home and working virtually is here to stay. We have noticed that. I think there's also going to be a desire for business travelers to get back on the road and to enjoy these personal connections with their customers. And I've experienced that personally. Interestingly enough, I think there's been, I've seen a a travel tech survey that signals that a vast majority of business travelers feel that technology is going to help travel emerge stronger for COVID. And that, of course, you know, specifically business travel. And they're counting on tools and specific technologies like artificial intelligence, customer relationship management, online booking tools, but also uh, self-service tools, you know, with COVID and social distance and everything, the use of self-serve tools has increased tremendously. Touchless kiosks, ability to reaccommodate yourself from a cell phone, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these tools are really going to help business travel pick up. And I guess that's really good news for the travel technology industry, right? But again, back to business travel. Businesses are eager to reconnect with their customers. And also another phenomenon, we talk about the great resignation, right? We are seeing or witnessing a level of attrition in companies that, especially tech companies, that is unprecedented. But at the same time, employers are really trying to combat this attrition and they're really trying to reconnect with their own employees. So what do they do now that you know travel restrictions have lifted for the most part? They organize internal meetings, get-togethers. And so employee travels for internal meetings now that, you know, something that they didn't used to do before. Then we also witnessed some corporate travelers that combine business trips with leisure travel and bring their families along. And I've heard this new term called leisure. I don't know if you heard that. I thought that was interesting. But then anyway, I think checking health regulations and providing your health credentials as you travel has now become part of the norm, like showing your passport. So I think this is here to stay. And I think business travel is going to continue to pick up, integrating this new dimension, which is to say, okay, here's my passport. Here's my vaccination card. I'm all set for travel. Well, thank you very much, Joe. Some lovely examples and insights there. I love your business dinner anecdote. I was actually at a business dinner last night as well in Madrid. And uh, Obviously, I'm English and English people don't really go for uh, human contact very much. I actually gave somebody a massive hug within the first 30 seconds of being there, which the lady didn't really know quite what to do with it. But I think it was just, we're just so delighted and relieved to be spending time with people. And I think business travel is a conduit to that. So thank you very much for your thoughts there. Anna, I'm going to come to you now. I know that you have some strong views and insights on this as well. So both your own views, but looking at EMEA as a region, kind of your sense on this and anything that you feel you want to disagree with, with Joelle or anything that, that chimes for you, you know, feel free to, to wade into that too. I actually think the trends we're seeing in, in EMEA are very similar no, when it comes to business travel. And I think personally, and I think all of us know, we have lived it ourselves, the business travel and getting back on the road quite early on. 
And it was a real hassle, no? Having to self-test in the hotel upon arrival and other interesting experiences, no? Or, I mean, just uh, last week, no, I was with traveling with someone who was like, oh my God, where is my COVID passport? And fiddling around, no, when they were checking in because we had quite a lot of luggage, even if it was a business trip. So I think many of us have just really struggled, no? And I think, therefore, the fact that the restrictions are now lifting very fast and increasingly, and now some places don't even ask for the COVID passport anymore, it's very, very positive. No, and actually, when we look at the numbers for Europe in particular, what we see is that short-haul business travel and domestic business travel is actually above 2019, which is extremely positive. It's more than 30% above. And when we look at short-haul, maybe more regional travel, Within Europe, it's uh, only 5% down versus 2019. So again, really, really catching up. No, And I think now that we're seeing more and more restriction lifting, we're also going to see the international coming back strong. No? So this is really positive. And when I speak to travel sellers in EMEA, very clear that also the trend of people wanting to get back together, their requests for events and having both internal and customer events is coming back very quickly. That's what they're all saying. They're seeing very strong demand. No? So very positive on the business travel side. People want to get back together. Yeah, good news. Good news indeed. And the example about, you know, do I have to have this or that paperwork and kind of getting confused just to feel that that is shifting and lightening is both kind of representative of the progress in the pandemic, but also just to kind of return to some kind of normality, even if it's a new normality. So completely agree with you, Anna, and some, some lovely thoughts and insights there. Now, Fred, you know, from the APAC side of things, is it picking up? Is it following the same pace? Is it different? Really interested to hear your take on this one. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I have been traveling for the last 12 months. I started like very early on and I can echo the paperwork and the complexity of crossing borders and entering countries. Interestingly, on those planes, when I was traveling regionally or internationally, it was only business travelers because nobody would want to take a family of four or five through the complexity of border crossing and forgetting the paperwork. and. So it was the plane were half empty or even, even two-thirds empty, but it was only business travelers. So how is it in Asia? I think Asia is slower than the rest of the world to reopen the markets. Majority of the market are open now, with the exception of Northern Asia. So if you look at China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Japan, this is still very much... Japan is trying hard to reopen, but it's still a complex process. South Korea is open, and then Central Asia, Southeast Asia, India is fully open, and Australia and the Pacific are fully open. So we see the trend as well. We see business travelers coming back. Uh, we see those routes being searched and booked again. We looked at the search for Sydney to Singapore, for instance, which is a typical you know, business route in general, people coming from Australia to Singapore for business. It's 200% higher in April than it was in 2019. So we see a really high pickup there. Outside of the region, if you look at Seoul, South Korea, to the US, to New York City, we are up 10% compared to 2019. So those also are business routes in general, where people are booking again and traveling again. So it's picking up slowly. It's, as I said, many countries are still closed and the biggest one being China, which of course attract a lot of business travel in and out. So for this one, we still have to wait, I guess, a bit longer. And to echo what Anna and Joel said, I think last week we had a customer meeting face-to-face -face in Bangkok, where we welcomed 40 of our Indian customer. And the smiles were amazing. The conversation were amazing. The drinks, of course, and the small talks, everything was there. And then none of this could be done on virtual. So everybody was really engaged, happy to be there, as much the social part as the business part. And I think for me, what's important is what we cannot say on Zoom, because Zoom or any of these devices 
you're limited on time, you're time boxed. But when you're in an event, then there's a lot of small talks happening, and this is the great value. So very positive. Completely agree. Thank you very much, Fred. And uh, I only go to events for the uh, for the social element, actually. So for the past two years, I've been uh, very quiet. <laughs> and I loved your example about only seeing business travellers broadly during COVID times in APAC. And you know, I have to say, the very thought of managing my three young children uh, through an airport and on a plane, even in normal times, does not bear thinking about. So. Uh, Really, really nice to, to hear that story. And thank you again for those insights. And Fred, I'm not going to give you any time to take a breath because it's actually going to come straight back to you and looking at our third trend, savoring the now, something I am very good at telling other people to do and something I'm not quite as good as doing myself. But you know, the last few years, really, I think it is now, we've, we've been stuck at home. And as my wife likes to call it, living at work, not working at home, <laughs> contemplating what is important. You know, we have, I think, an increased sense of what matters. And I think looking at travellers and what their motivations are, I think the spectre has definitely shifted. And I think this can mean different things, of course, to different travellers. But one thing is pretty universal, that how we experience things and the dreams that we have and then how they manifest in real life, I think that has become more pertinent and more front of mind in the past two years. So, Fred, all of that said, do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has prompted travellers to seek out these kind of once-in-a-lifetime trips? Do you think this behavior is different across the world? Or do you think actually, you know, nothing has really changed and we travel and we search and we book and we dream as we did pre-2020? What's your take? Yeah, definitely. I think people are really looking forward to this trip they've missed. We all have stories of friends, a personal story of a great trip we had booked, planned, paid for, and had to be canceled or postponed in the best case. And people had to endure, you know, true cancellation process. And we know from our customer from our travel sellers that the complexity of the refund processes, the frustrating processes people had to go through. So everybody left with a little bit of a bad taste and a, a sense of uh, unfinished business you know, and wanting to go again and do it as soon as possible. So, And I, I also think a lot of people took the time to reflect as well on their life in general and to start thinking deeper on what really is important what really matters to them. You know, And high on the list comes very often if you ask people, you know, traveling, discovering new places, of course, sharing with loved one, you know, very special moments, very special places. It's quite often very high and people want to do it now. I think there is a sense that, okay, I've been waiting. I want to go ahead. So the dream of a honeymoon trip, the family reunion, it's still very much present, I think. We're not willing to wait any longer. Market are reopening. It's fueling the rush. People see, of course, that they can go in much easily now around the world. People start dreaming again and they start planning again. And we see that in our search transactions. So when we look at what's happening in our system and how people search and what they search, we really see a move from what was maybe more inspiration and dreaming and just you know browsing the content available into more the shopping. So moving from really into the what we call the traveler journey, the traveler funnel, moving down into this making a decision, shopping and buying. And you see some expected destination or expected search. Like people want to go to New York and see the, you know, cruise around the Statue of Liberty. They want to climb the Eiffel Tower in Paris. They want to go into Las Vegas and see the Strip. But we also see some more unusual things, which uh, also tend to say, you know, people are trying to do something different, to do the Strip of the Lifetime. We see hiking Everest Base Camp is quite high on the list of people searching for destination. It's something I'd love to do myself, actually. Cruising the Nile River is coming in like a, the fourth search we had in the last few weeks in our system. So we see this around the world. Asia remains a, typically a very high on the bucket list of people that want to go to Asia, visit Asia, and from Asia, of course, to go back to Europe, 
back to the US, uh, North America in general. So we see big jump on the year over year of people looking at those amazing trips. And I think, as you mentioned before, the domestic destination is still very high. I think some people are still concerned about those international complex trips. So we saw, obviously, a surge in the domestic travel powering in Asia, 47% in India of domestic trip now, 47% higher than 2019 for domestic travel. So it's a huge amount, and it keeps growing. Even in Australia, in Thailand, we see strong, strong recovery for domestic. So people trying to visit around, enjoy what they have around them. So 18% for Thailand, 30% for Australia when it comes to domestic. Cross-region, the slightly more complex trip is still down compared to 2019. We're still down at 60, 65% when it comes to the region. So people going again from Australia to Southeast Asia and around the region. And international is even further down. So the long haul international doing those trips to Europe or to the USA. But it tells us you know, people want to travel, the planning, whether it's a short holiday, the trip of the lifetime, we see a lot of bookings and a lot of decision being made by people. And in Asia, the destination remain, you know, Vietnam, people want to go to Halong Bay, want to go to Indonesia, discovering these beautiful islands that we have in Indonesia for diving or the beach. They want to go to Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Thailand is still very high on the list at 200% above. So it's there. The growth is back. People are looking and shopping again. However, all not the destination are equal. Because again, as I said, in APAC, we still have a part of the region that is fairly closed. So it creates that tension in the northern part of the region where people can actually cannot go out. Sometimes they are even you know, locked down in their own very city, if you look at China. So there is a discrepancy if you look at the region, the north and the south and central part of the region. And people get still concerned about the rule change that can happen from time to time. It's less so now. I think the rules are getting a bit consistent when it comes to crossing border. So people are more inclined to go ahead. The last point I would add is, I think it's a global trend. We've seen, of course, high ticket price driven by fuel price and driven by inflation in general. So my only reservation on this you know, trip of a lifetime is you know, if the price keep going up as they are, if you look from Asia to Europe, the price is 20, 30% higher than what it was previously on the ticket. Of course, this has an impact on people. And even if they want to spend and revenge travel again, this has an impact. So I think we need to watch that space on the price of a ticket going up especially in the long haul, and the inflation, of course, impacting people's budget. But in general, yes, the trip of the lifetime is here. People want to discover again. They want to you know, do that trip that they couldn't do. So it's very much high on the agenda, I would say. Thank you, Fred. And that completely resonated with me, especially when you were talking about the pandemic perhaps giving us all pause for thought and reflecting on what we're doing with our lives and where we want to be. And for a control freak like me, uh, the past two years is really, really difficult because the kind of things that you can just do at the drop of a hat where you know we were not able to do so i think things opening up and having that freedom to make decisions and to be able to do stuff really 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 good but of course as you alluded to there are other macro factors in the background which are affecting pricing which you know limits this and prohibits in a way that perhaps you know could not be foreseen so yeah challenges still within that opportunity so joel from your perspective what fred was saying there does that resonate does that make sense any color you can add from the American's perspective on this kind of trip of a lifetime and people kind of opening up and taking a big step out there into the world of travel again? Well, actually, what Fred said really, really resonated with me. I find it very, very interesting. And as far as the Americas is concerned, I mean, America is on the move, right? This is really what we're witnessing here. Americans have cabin fever. They want to go out. They want to travel. They want to see things. They are tired of being stuck at home. 
interesting comment from your wife then about you know living at work also resonated with me. I found that very interesting. I've had this feeling myself. So quality of life has become top of mind. It's really true specifically in the U.S. and in the U.S. domestic travel is up 11% from the 2019 pre-COVID numbers. So really is a real proof that Americans are on the move and Americans want to travel. I'm personally going to take a trip on Sunday. I'm going to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic with my family, extended family. And I think it's the first time ever that my grown children are actually willing to travel with me. Uh, and we're all going like this, like seven people. I've never, you know, experienced this before. Usually it's just, you know, my husband and I or my husband and one child or, you know, me and one child. But uh, here, this is like a massive move to, hey, let's get together. Let's do something. People realize how fragile human life is. You know, COVID has unfortunately taught us that. So people look at their bucket list. I look at my bucket list in terms of travel and I'm thinking, hey, you know what? My bucket list is going to transform into a shopping cart. I really want to do this now. Why wait? I want to do this now. I want to see Halong Bay. I want to go to the Maldives and sleep in one of those stilts hotels. I want to do all these things genuinely. Uh, why wait? I can't find any more reasons to why wait. And so everything that Fred said really, really reinforces my thinking that now is the time to travel. Now is the time to get going. Well, thank you, Joe. And your trip on Sunday sounds a lot more exciting than mine. So if there's any room in the cabin, I'd, uh, I'd love to come along for the ride. Um, Anna, final perspective from you on this. I'm sure you've got lots to say on this, knowing you as well as I do, but your sense on this one, Anna? I think uh, we're also seeing it in EMEA, you know, people wanting to do the special trips and the special destinations. And it's so funny, Joel, that you should say that Maldives, my kids, they're two teenage boys, and they were not really very interested in traveling in the last few years. And now suddenly, they also want to go to Maldives. And they want to, I didn't even know it was called stilt hotels. I was going to say they want a hotel on top of the sea. You know, they want to see the sea underneath them. And that's one of their dreams. And I was like, wow, even my children are now in this category of wanting to do special destinations. And actually, interestingly enough, I went with them to a, a travel agency just a week or two ago. And I was speaking to the agent and I was saying, wow, you are really busy. And she said to me, we are inundated in travelers who want to do their trip snow this summer. It's just unbelievable. And I have to say, as much as I felt sorry for her because she looked a bit stressed, I think the industry, this is just so good news. You know? So um, I was telling her, it might be tough for the moment, but aren't you happy that we're not sitting back there with nothing to do? So I think everybody in the travel industry is thrilled. Thank you very much, Anna, for that. And thank you also to all of you, Anna, Joel, and Fred, for sharing your experiences with us today. I wish we had more time. In my job, I do a lot of talking, not a lot of listening. But today, I've really enjoyed listening to all of you. Fascinating conversation, great examples, great anecdotes. I think there's no doubt about it, travel is coming back. And one positive to come from all of this, and obviously I'm biased because I work in the travel industry, but the desire to rebuild travel. And if we can rebuild travel better, I think that's something to really aim for and really hope for. And Within that, looking after our planet without it sounding too trite matters. And COVID has allowed us to both take a step back, but be more conscious and I think take more responsibility for the things we do and the choices that we make. So I'm excited about what the future holds. And I would like to say on this point, thank you to our audience for listening. Also, to stay up to date on the latest news from Amadeus and to catch the next episodes in our series, do check out the wonderfully titled Insights section on our website 
or follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Until next time, thank you very much. Goodbye.